0: It's time for the Cybersecurity News bite with Jim Guckin. Cybersecurity News bite, episode number 63 for July 9th, 2023. Android patches three actively exploited vulnerabilities. Voice authentication broken with a 99% success rate. Cloud resets API keys amid an ongoing cybersecurity incident. And Team Fisher tool exploits Microsoft Teams to deploy malware. Welcome back to the show, everyone. It is me, Jim Guckett, your host, knocking into my microphone like a crazy man. Uh, We have a lot of stories going on this week, some of them very interesting. Uh, And for those of you who are watching on YouTube, yes, new haircut uh, for the summertime. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to our show. Don't forget you can uh, find us uh, on cybersecuritynewsbyte.com, which has all the stories I talk about here, as well as, you know, the links to where I got these articles so you can do your own you know, uh, reading of the material. So for the first uh, story that we have this week, very interesting one, um, because we are at this point very used to um, having uh, updates to our Android devices. If you have Android, if you have Apple, you're very used to having those. And generally, 99% of the time, they are absolutely just regular updates that we just deal with. Um, So (laughs) July's Android update, though, Um, Did take care of 46 new software vulnerabilities they found, but there was three in that 46 that you really need to pay attention to because they're not just, you know, your typical uh, updates at this point. They are ones that you need to pay attention to because they are being actively exploited by, you know, the malicious actors out there. Uh, The first one we're going to talk about here is CVE-2023-26083. Uh, It is a memory leak flaw. Uh, This is all part of the ARM Mali, uh, M-A-L-I GPU driver, uh, and it affects the Bifost, the Avalon, and the Valhall chipsets. Now, this is one that is not new. Uh, It's been around for a while. In fact, uh, back in April, Uh, CISA, which is the cybersecurity and incident security agency of the U S put out a warning for it, which you can find the link in the show notes. Um, And it was also used back in December of 2022 in the big uh, Samsung spyware issue. So not new stuff at all. In fact, it's been actively exploited for, for quite some time, at least back since December. Uh, So yeah, make sure you're patched up against that one. Uh, The next one is CVE 2021. Once again, a little older here, 2021-29-256. Once again, this has something to do with the Bifrost and Midgard ARM uh, Mali uh, GPU kernel drivers. Uh, if these are exploited, and they are exploited in the wild, uh, they allow some unprivileged users to gain unauthorized access to, you know, sensitive data. So not necessarily one uh, that you want, And Yes, they can gain access to data you may not want people to have access to, uh, but it can also escalate their their privileges on your phone to the root level, meaning they have full control over your phone. And if you're not, like, technical and get into your phone, that's more access than you have. Uh, the third one, which is another one you should be watching out for, uh, is 2023, uh, CVE 2023-2136. Uh, this impacts uh, Skya which is Google's open source, multi-platform 2D graphics library. Uh, and this one was interesting because it was found as a zero day in Chrome. And now they're just getting around to patching this in uh, Android devices. This would allow a remote attacker to perform a sandbox escape, meaning they can get out of the the, the kind of the box that your operating system puts them into. Kind of, for security reasons. It can escape that and implement uh, code. You know in your general Android device uh, very scary these three are actually as I said exploited currently in the wild meaning attackers are currently utilizing these to do attacks uh, and these are to the point where it's not just your run-of-the-mill bad guys I mean uh, nation-states are using this uh, there's a lot of talk on this so There are ones that, regardless of what the CVE, uh, CVSS score on these are, these are ones that, if you have Android devices in your environment, it is critical, crucial, that you update uh, as soon as possible with the July updates. Now, you should always be keeping up to date with them. As soon as my phone gets uh, the updates, my personal phone, I always make sure to run the updates. Most of them, because they are security updates, yeah, there's some feature updates you get here and there. Uh, but really it comes down to ones that um, you really want to focus on. Now there is one more out of the 46 that is not actively being exploited that I can tell, uh, but it is something that I want you to be aware of that is addressed in this Android July update, which is CVE 2023 21250, uh, 250 And this allows uh, remote code execution with no user interaction meaning they can exploit this without you having to click anything without running anything um and you don't need any um elevated privileges they don't need to do any other kind of attack first just on the base operating system they are able to run this so i highly recommend uh, that if you have android devices one you should if you're in an organization you should have these devices locked down to what people can or cannot do and you should be checking all the time to make sure that they are being updated uh, like you would a server. Whether this is BYOD or corporate devices, this is something you need to do. For personal people, the second your phone tells you there's an update, do not delay, just run it. I know it's a pain in the butt. I hate when my phone updates because it takes like 20 minutes and I don't have my phone on me. And I get it. It's just because I don't have my phone. on me. what if someone's trying to call right now? Uh, but these are the reasons why these updates are there. And they're very important uh, because they need to get done. They need to be fixed. They need to have the attention paid to them um, because, yeah, usually they're fixing bugs they're fixing. They're adding new features to it. Um, but in this case, there are three out of 46, uh, which may not seem like a high number. But there are three that are actively, actively being exploited in the wild by malicious actors. Whether they are nation state, whether they are um, money focused, whatever it comes down to, trust me, the code's out there. They are using this. Um, and you don't want to have a device compromised, especially the one that allows them to escape the sandbox, the 2023 2136. Because if they can do that, then they can get access to. You know, everything on the device, uh, especially if you have a BYOD thing where you're, you know, you're opening that data in a sandbox environment, very limited, very restricted. Maybe can't save things to personal devices. Yeah, that that escapes that. So really uh, something that you want to make sure that you pay attention to and uh, that you are patching as soon as it you know, becomes available. For our second story this week. Um, And it's not really... I I don't want this to be like the freak out one. Um, But it should be something that you take with uh, a warning. So uh, in the University of Waterloo, there is a group of computer scientists um, who have discovered a method um, that can create a deepfake so well that it will bypass voice authentication security. Uh, And I point this out because deepfakes are one one going to continue to get better. Uh, But this is a very minimal attack. So you don't necessarily have to worry about this per se. Uh, And I'll explain all through the attack, how it works, and why you should at least keep it in the back of your mind. So... We don't often deal with voice authentication. You're used to having your phone, device, pop up, pin code sent to you, little key with the rotating numbers on it. Like those are things that we are used to dealing with when it comes to uh, authentication tokens. Well, there are some companies out there that identify people via their unique voice print. Um, And you're seeing this kind of more in remote banking, some call centers and other kind of security-critical scenarios in which there is a voice piece to it. There's a phone call component to it. Um, now, just like a password, this is based off of a phrase. Uh, and when you train the assistant, it's like training your voice assistant at home. Um, when you train the, the the voice authentication, I mean, not the assistant. It's like a voice assistant at home. Um, so if you ever set up Google or... Alexa or um, Siri, you know, they have you repeat a couple phrases over and over again so that it can kind of find the variation in your voice and kind of Digitalize that and then put it into the code. That's kind of like a fingerprint for you But with a little bit of fudge factor So if you know you're a little louder today or a little lower today, it still kind of can pick that up for you So this being part one of the attack is it's a phrase. It's something that you say so To exploit this attack, they have to know what your passphrase is. This isn't impossible to get. This could be something that's done out of uh, some kind of social engineering, but it's something you can do. Um, So what was interesting with this is, uh, once again, this is all using deepfake um, technology. Um, They were able to generate a copy of the victim's voice using as little bit as five minutes of audio. Once again, as little as, meaning the more audio they have, the more screwed you are. I'm doomed if I ever need this because of the podcast. There are, at this point, hours upon hours of my recorded voice. Uh, you need the passphrase, though. Um, but they were able to do this. Now, the, pr- the, the thing was that in the past, uh, there were ways in which you could identify a synthetic voice. Um, and developers have introduced this uh, into a what they call a spoofing countermeasure meaning it listens to the voice, and then looks for the peaks and valleys that are not necessarily done by humans, but they are done by a machine imitating a human. There's like little markers in the voice that just says, hey, this is this was not something done by humans. Uh, we've seen kind of the s- same technology when, when people were all afraid of chat GPT. They had these uh, websites that you could run the, the, the text through and see if it was something that a uh, artificial intelligence uh, has written, or a person has just by the way and the cadence and the way it talked. And that's the same way with artwork, you can kind of tell if you're good and have the software to see what was designed by person and what was designed by by an AI. Same comes with this deep fake stuff. You can take my voice, you can make it sound like me, you could use it for spoofing. Uh, But when it comes to using this voice authentication, there were little markers that was looking forward to see, is this Jim or is this a machine pretending to be Jim? Now, if that's where the story ended, it wouldn't be a story this week. Uh, but it comes down to the Waterloo team uh, has found a way to evade the spoofing countermeasures. They looked at the voice thing. They trained their AI to identify the markers in the deepfake audio that are kind of dead giveaways that's computer generated. And they wrote a program that removes those markers, uh, which I'm sure doesn't 100% imitate uh, natural speech. Uh, But from a robot's point of view, from the system that's listening to you's point of view, it does a pretty good job. Now, it also depends on what system you're using. So they did test this against Amazon Connect's voice authentication system. um, And they got about a 10% success rate uh, in one four-second attack. And then they were able to raise that to 40% in less than 30 seconds. So... You know, knowing this passphrase, being able to train the AI, they were able to get it to, you know, a 40% success rate, which isn't great, but it isn't horrible either. Um, now, in less sophisticated voice authentication systems, this is where uh, the headline came in, where they they achieve a 99% success rate after six attempts. And it just goes to show you, like, this is where, from a security standpoint, we need to start looking for these... These ways in which to identify or to protect our systems are something that kind of shifts as we increase in technology and security by its very nature needs to be shifting with them. Uh, So if you use a voice authentication system, make sure you're using one that has a more robust uh, spoofing countermeasure to it. Um, Have someone test the system. Uh, with with a you know, deep fake AI-generated audio of someone with their passphrase and see how long it takes you to break that system. Um, because as I said, it's not hard for someone to necessarily get someone to tell them what the passphrase is. But I wouldn't necessarily always rely on voice authentication as the only token. I mean, if it's possible... Maybe follow that up with something else like, hey, an email and then the voice authentication or voice authentication will email you a code and then back. Whatever. Try to split up to to, to a true multi-factor system because um, it's easier to to knock down one of the multi-factors. Uh, the more you add, the more complex the attack has to be. It's not necessarily or should never be considered 100% foolproof, but it gets you kind of closer to the overall protection of systems, if it's a very sensitive thing. Now for our third story, which is a very interesting one, because there's not a lot of information going on, um, but it's it's something that has freaked me out, kind of, uh, from a personal standpoint. I don't use this vendor. The organizations I work for do not use this vendor. People I consult for do not use this vendor. Um, but it's kind of that uh, security, uh, how do I put this? Security warning that should be kind of in the back of your head. So we're talking here about Jump Cloud, and they are a provider of cloud-based identity and access management solutions. And right now, uh, as far as I can tell, there's 180,000 organizations who use their cloud-based Active Directory uh, identity and access management solution globally, all around the world, a lot of organizations. So we kind of know this is due to an incident, but we don't have the details of the incident. So what they have said is there's an ongoing cyber incident that is impacting some of its clients. What it is, we don't know. They sent out a tweet to their customers, which is in the show notes, that, hey, we're aware of this. We're changing your API keys. You have to update them in your system for the system to work again. Now, I wanna say, There is no confirmed uh, security incident going on right now. We don't know what it is. I have seen a couple theories that one that kind of makes the most sense to me, meaning something that would be like their admin API keys, the keys that are generated, the keys that you generate and then generate all the customer keys off of uh, might have leaked. Now, no one has found these leaked keys, um, but I will explain why I think that's it. Um, In the remediation for this, what they're doing, they're saying, "Hey, customers, if you had an API key with us, you need to go and regenerate your keys. We have cut all of our current API keys off. One, this is something you do not do lightly. You are literally JumpCloud has cut off all of its customers from its from its services. Like you, 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 you have locked all the customers are paying out of your out of your um, out of your system." Not something that anyone does lightly. If they could do it in a more targeted environment, they would, but they do not. They cut everyone off. It stops everything in the customer's environment from utilizing their their um, their IAM solution. The customers need to go and regenerate keys to new one. And this is why I think, and once again, all conjecture, we'll see when this comes out, and I will make a statement when it is, because I, I, I don't want to be wrong on this, um, but in theory, if the if their admin API keys are lost, they need to regenerate those. In needing to regenerate those, then all of the customer's API ne- keys need to be regenerated off of that new key. As best as I understand APIs, it's not my forte, but that seems to be kind of what I think is going on. Now, from an incident standpoint, there is no transparency. They are not talking about this. There's no data uh, at the time of this recording that I have. Uh, for what is going on or why they are doing these kind of, you know, fixes. Now, this might be for a good reason. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, saying maybe there's information they don't want to um, share or leak out or make the attacker have a benefit. Maybe that's what they're doing. Now, I do have to say, because we talk a lot about on the show is maybe this is just really bad communication. Um, but I will give them at least if even if it's bad communication, at least they tweeted out something. Um, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily good or bad. Um, I would hope there's more communication. I hope maybe that, that maybe cause I'm not a customer and no one I know is a customer. Um, I'm just not seeing the full communication now. They're, they're kind of holding that back and just talking to their customers. If that's the case and they are doing well. Um, but if they're not, if you, if you're a customer of jump cloud and you don't know what's going on other than this tweet, uh, that took place saying, Hey, regenerate your keys, then this is not a good, um, a good thing to watch. Um, now, if you are or, or not a member of JumpCloud, what do you want to do to protect yourself? Uh, one of the key things is if you have an API and you know it's hitting a single location, you should lock down the communication via firewall or some kind of software between those points saying, hey, server B is always the one I expect it to hear this from. Server B's IP address is blah, 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 dot, blah, 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 dot, blah, 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 And that's the only place where I expect this API to talk from. If anything else comes outside of that API, don't listen to it. Uh, and this really limits down to what's going on. But the problem is in our today's society where everything is cloud-based, uh, if the product is Azure-based, if it's um, Amazon AWS-based, you may not necessarily have the ability to kind of lock it down to just that uh, IP address. Um, I, I know in personal things from trying to firewall off applications that are either cloud-based, whether it's Google, Azure, or AWS. It's hard to do because there's not one IP. It's like hundreds of IPs, and you have to kind of keep tweaking that every time they add more or remove some. And there's 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 news articles they will send you or um, feed you can subscribe to that will kind of add and take away as they do. But there is a level of management to that. The other thing I recommend highly is that you make sure all of your data via APIs or any other real source, honestly, uh, is encrypted at rest, is encrypted in transit, uh, and that you're using a very good encryption algorithm for it. It's not something that's weak, not something that's easily broken. Uh, that way, even if you can't lock down the IP address, and you say, hey, look, it's just AWS and the attacker has an AWS uh, IP address um, and they get access to your API then they still don't necessarily have access to everything because yeah, they may have the data, but it's encrypted. They can't really break it easily. Um, so you should be safe. I mean, that's just a recommendation from my point. I'm sure there's people out there who, have a, who are API security experts who will tell me a lot more. That's not my strong point, but it's something uh, that you should make sure for really all of your data. For our final story this week, for those of you who are in love with uh, Microsoft Teams or uh, Microsoft in general, uh, on GitHub, there is a exploit available called Team Fisher. It's a new tool that can enable attackers to misuse a vulnerability that's currently active in the team system. And I'm going to talk about my personal feelings of Microsoft's answer at the end of this, but let's explain kind of what it is. Uh, it is an automated script that delivers malicious files to a user system. Now, this operates seamlessly environments that permit communication between internal and external teams users. So from that fact, it's a very, you know, specific use case. Your team's environment has to allow um, communication between internal and external teams users if you have guests in your environment then you are um you're vulnerable to this uh and this came out this 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 team fisher thing came out last month um most well, i should say started last month uh by two researchers at jumpsec uh they highlighted the issue the vulnerability explained that attackers could bypass a security feature in teams uh and they did this by uh, they did this by changing an internal and external recipient id in the post request so in web development for as little as I know, there's a get request which pulls data and there's a post saying you push data to it. So by changing the internal and external recipient in a message, when you're sending it, uh, you can trick the system into treating an external user. So you're one of your guests on your system as an internal one.
1: And then the US
0: Navy's red team published the Team Fisher exploit, yay. Uh, So uh, the cool thing about Team Fisher is it is a Python-based tool that provides a fully automated attack, meaning the the, the attackers don't really have to do much. It does everything for you. Uh, The tool checks the the team's environment and verifies that the user can receive external messages. It then creates a new message with the target user and sends the message with a SharePoint attachment. Uh, This new message appears in the sender's team interface for manual interaction, you know, anything they want to do to kind of make it look fancy or make it seem like a phishing attack or, or pretend to be someone, whatever they're going to do, whatever manual stuff they need to do, it just pops it into their teams. They do whatever they need to do. Hey, take a look at this file. It sends it off. Uh, now, some of the other features of this, of this lovely Python-based script um, allows um, them to really refine the attack by sending secure files that can only be viewed by the intended recipient, meaning, you know, I'm not blasting out to everyone, I just want one person to open it up so you can do that. And they can specify a delay between message transmission. So if there's something that says, hey, external users can only send so many things. Well, this tool lets you to bypass that restriction and modify the log files, you know, so it gets through. Um, And here's where the conclusion comes in. Microsoft said, hey, why, why, but we're not really fixing this yet. Um, we advise that you use good cybersecurity hygiene, including exercise caution when clicking on links to web pages. Microsoft, you are aware phishing is like the number one way to get into a system. You can social engineer most things out of people. Most hacking today is done via social engineering or phishing. So by telling us all, like, hey, just don't click on links. As if everyone in the security community would go, oh, oh I, I didn't know that. I was, for a while, I was just telling people to click on every email that came in or every message that came in. There's no, Most organizations don't have 40 warnings saying, hey, this is coming from an outside source. Be careful. Or, hey, if you're not waiting for a message to come in from someone, double check before you click on it. Like, these are all stuff that security people have been telling end users forever. And it's not the end user's fault here. This is Microsoft's fault. There's a, there's, there's a vulnerability for two months. And you go, meh. Now, Microsoft also said, hey, you need to warn your end users to be cautious when opening unknown files or engaging in file transfers. Yeah, this is not this is not it. I mean, I recommend uh, where possible you tell your users this, but this should not be an official statement from Microsoft. This is a horrible statement from Microsoft. Um. Now, I will say, they did say, look, look, if you don't need external tenants on, if you don't need guests in your network, turn it off. If you do create a list of trusted domains, but once again, if that trusted domain is breached, well, then the vulnerability is still there. So thanks, Microsoft, but you're not really fixing at this point. Now, I might say maybe this is more complex, but Microsoft has a lot of vulnerabilities that we deal with. And their answer is like, well, don't click on the exe file. Cause that could be a virus or malware. Or don't like these are stuff. We should know these are stuff. We should know. Microsoft. And, and if it's not something we know, I guarantee you most security people out there, most it people are telling their users this on a regular basis, your press release doesn't need to say, Hey, this is what you need to do to fix it. Because we know, we know this is not new. We, we've been having this fight forever. So be better because this does not help me whatsoever. Especially if you're in an organization that requires external users. And it's becoming more and more common as more and more people have teams. It's a good way to share and secure files back and forth. And it's traceable for most systems. So this is something that we need to do better on. And hopefully they come up with a patch soon. But if not, heed their warnings. Just do... Um, files with those you trust, do a trust list where you can turn off where you can. That's really all we can do to kind of help this. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget we are here almost every week, except for every once in a while. Like last week, we're off for the July 4th holiday here in the U S but you can find us on whatever podcast software you like. If it's not there, let us know. We'll add it there. But make sure you interact, like, comment, whatever. On those podcast things like you always do. If you're on our YouTube channel, make sure you like, subscribe. Get these as they roll out. Uh, You know the deal at this point. Uh, Don't forget to check our website, cybersecuritynewsbyte.com. This contains all of our show notes for these stories. Links to where I got this information from. uh, Give you more information than what I'm putting off here Uh, as well as, you know, when we talk about the CVEs, uh, I don't expect you to be writing them down as I talk about them. I mean, you could be good for you, but it's more easier to go back to the show notes for that particular show and find, uh, the CVEs listed in there. Uh, Don't forget. You can contact me me at jimguckin.com. Uh, I always check my mail. Always glad to talk to you. Uh, you can visit my personal website at jimguckin.com has my blog on there as well as other things. Um, But any interaction, I'm for it. You can find me on most social media sites as Jim Guckin, all one word. Um, YouTube, Twitter, Mastodon, uh, Threads. They're all there. So so you can find me there. Uh, Don't forget to stay safe online, and we'll catch you again next week. You've been listening to the Cybersecurity News Byte with Jim Guckin. Learn more about our show at cybersecuritynewsbite.com.